grab a seat. Let's worship God together. We are so excited to have you here. Kern is a community following Jesus together, and you're welcome wherever you are on your spiritual journey. A happy, happy Father's Day to all our amazing dads here at Kern, here live at home. Uh, we're so grateful for you, and uh, we're going to be celebrating you today. But before that, we know Father's Day can be a heavy day for some, uh, for those that have lost our dads or um, where there's some brokenness there. And so uh, you were prayed for this morning, and if we could be praying with you, please let us know, and we would love to pray with you after the worship gathering as well. Uh, we are celebrating our dads today with a Maldonado's pizza lunch after the worship gathering, and uh, a little birdie told me, uh, Rachel, who was uh, ordering the pizzas for us, told me that some people were wondering if uh, the non-dads were eligible for pizza also, and the answer is a definitive yes. There is a lot of pizza coming, so please come, whether you're a dad or not. Um, we'll be on the lawn out here outside the Hyatt uh, starting around 11.30, and actually on that note, if we give our teams a shout out, if you see somebody this morning who is uh, afterward, you know, tearing down, you know, carrying a cable or pushing a case or picking up chairs, um, if Everybody can pitch in to help. We'll all get to pizza faster. And so, uh, teams, this is your opportunity to put your arm around somebody and get them on your team. So today, let's all help with Tear Down Faster. And let's all get out and, and eat pizza. We are looking to build our teams over the next two months as we get into kind of uh, in the fall, we will be going back to a two-service cadence. And so we want to invite you um, to consider finding a place to serve with us here at Kern if you are not yet on a volunteer team. Lots of opportunities, and uh, we will be throwing a volunteer appreciation party at the end of the summer, and we want to include you in that. Um, we do not skimp on these parties. We've been known to a, uh, rent Google buses and, uh, let's see what else, uh, go to the beach. Uh, we've rented out bowling alleys. So whatever we're getting ready to do, uh, our backbone of our church is our volunteer team. Team Current is amazing. It's the best part, right? best way right now to really get connected and really be a part of who we are as a church. So encourage you to find a spot. You can find out more about ways to serve over at kernsv.church slash Sunday teams, uh, or just talk to the welcome team at the top of the stairs. Come find me. We'd love to find you a good fit place to serve. All right, so um, there's been questions after June 15th. You know, is there anything changing at current here? And so we want to address that this morning. There are no longer any capacity constraints uh, here on Sunday mornings, no longer requiring uh, registration or RSVPs of any kind. Uh, as we follow uh, the hotel policy, uh, masks here uh, for adult in adult areas uh, will become optional. And so for vaccinated folks, uh, masks are optional now. In in the hotel. However, um, we are encouraging masks for now in inside areas uh, for our youth, um, particularly in our youth areas, in our kids' areas, masks are still required. So for those uh, who are serving with the youth or uh, serving with the kids and parents as you're dropping off and picking up, we ask that you do keep your masks on in our kids' areas. Thank you so much um, for a grace and a spirit of unity as we come out of the pandemic together. Um, it's a difficult time, you know, and uh, everybody's coming kind of from different places. So let's really meet each other and do our best to love one another, to love our neighbors kind of in this in this process together. And so thank you. We want to say uh, that has very much been present and we're very grateful for that. 
All right, let's continue our worship this morning with the offering. This is an opportunity that we have to come before God, uh, to acknowledge that what we have is from his hand and for his purposes. And, and we really want to worship him you know, with our resources here and join him in life-changing kingdom-building work here in the Silicon Valley and beyond. You can give online at currentsv.church slash give or by texting a dollar amount to 84321. All right, so we are continuing, actually finishing our reset series this morning, um, and talking about cultivating gentleness. And our scripture today is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that we can celebrate you, give you praise in, in worship through singing, in prayer, and now looking at your word. Father, thank you that you are our good, good father. Uh, you, you provide for us, you care for us, you love us in ways that we just don't deserve, and you're always there for us. And as Cindy mentioned earlier, we do, we do want to pray especially for those who, who maybe Father's Day is a little bit rougher, harder, either from, from a loss or from a strained relationship, or just a, a, a broken past. Father, we pray that you especially meet them there in that space with, with your fatherly love. And Father, thank you so much also for the, the wonderful fathers you've blessed us with in the, in the current church family. Uh, Lord, would you please bless them? Today would it be an exciting day, an encouraging day to them. But also through them, would you, would you bless their families and, and this church family and, and our surrounding area? Fathers, we turn now to your word and we conclude this series. Would you please give us your spirit as ever to understand what you have in front of us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's no secret that we live in a polarized, broken world right now. Uh, there's so much division. There's so much anger. There's so much hate, name-calling, blaming, you name it, over any number of, of issues, politically, socially, uh, racially, whether or not to wear a mask. Uh, it's the most uh, polarized I've ever experienced American culture. And it seems to me like coming out of a pandemic now, a lot of people are living on edge. Uh, this last week, camp started up for our kids. And so Cindy's turn, she took the, the kids to camp on that first day. And it just so happened that they, hap they had uh, con unexpected construction at the elementary school where the camp was holding its, its site. And so the camp counselors were just trying to scramble and figure things out, get all the kids signed up first day. It's extra hard anyways. And lo and behold, by the time 9 o'clock rolled around, which is the time when it camp officially started, there was still a, like a super long line. People had already been in line for about 30 minutes. And for one dad in particular, he had had enough. He just started screaming at the counselors. And we're talking 15, 16, 17-year-old camp counselors, just like what they could have been doing better, what they weren't doing well enough. And it was so you know, crazy that, you know, after the first day of camp, the first thing my kids wanted to tell me about the day was what happened before camp started. Uh, but people are just living on edge. I mean, I'm feeling it. Hopefully I'm not going to be screaming out some teenage camp counselors, but it's like, man, we're, we're living on edge. What is to be done? You know, I, I think 
hopefully coming out of the pandemic here, we're going to be able to get some relief in terms of having more outlets, doing things like having vacations and all that sort of things. But if the only thing that's going to help here is external, external things, then we're in trouble. Because, man, external things are always going to come after us. I mean, relationships are always going to be strained. There's always going to be trouble. We live in a broken world. So that's why we've been in this series called Reset that we are concluding today, where we've been talking about the importance of cultivating character. Because character is something that when life does get hard, when relationships do get strained, character is going to help us not only just weather that, but be able to, for followers of Jesus, show God's love through it all in the, in the midst of it. So we've been talking about cultivating character. We've been looking at this wonderful list of character traits known as the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, where we've been talking about cultivating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Today we conclude by looking at developing and cultivating gentleness. Now, for those of you guys who've been paying close, close attention, you may notice that gentleness on that list found in Galatians 5 is actually second to last. Cindy really wanted to do self-control, so we did that a few weeks. And now we're going to include looking at gentleness, which I'm really excited to look at with you today, because how many of us think about the importance of gentleness? Cultivating gentleness. Uh, it's been something, at least for me, that's been really working on my heart as I've been preparing for it today. We're going to be talking about cultivating gentleness. In this text that was just read, the Apostle Paul is talking about how we, as followers of Jesus and his church, can bring gospel love into the world, into, into a broken world. And one of the four ways that he's going to talk about here is by being gentle. We're going to look at that, cultivating gentleness. So four ways we can bring gospel love into a broken world. But first, let's look at verse 1, because this kind of sets up what we're looking at today. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is a really important statement. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is split up into six chapters, and the first three chapters focus on doctrine. That is, for the first three chapters, Paul has taken his readers really to the mountaintops of God's love for people, namely through Jesus, talking about how Jesus has broken down the wall between God and humanity. Also in that first chapter, he's talked about how God has established the church filled with imperfect people, far from perfect people, to be a new social order or community that brings about God's love in the world, displays his love, displays his grace, displays his glory. That's the first three chapters of Ephesians. It focuses on doctrine. But starting in chapter four, looking through the, the rest of the letter, it focuses in on ethics. So chapters one through three is what God has done for us. Chapters four through six are, okay, here's what that means for us by way of response. And at chapter four, verse one, we have this pivot happening right here. Paul is saying, here's the so what of all that God's done, for, because of what God has done for us. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live worthy in light of what God has done for you. It's, it's a really important uh, statement to understand because it's actually often been misunderstood, mis mishandled. The common theme being, here's a standard you need to live up to, and if you don't, you know, you might bring about shame on God. It might not work out well for you. But that's not what Paul's saying. Uh, what we see here is while we are called to live changed, good, transformed lives, what Paul is not saying is this is a standard to live up to, but a wonderful message, a gospel to live out from. 
And in fact, what we see that even in a few verses beforehand in Ephesians 3.16, where he essentially says, God gives us his spirit to help us begin to do this more and more. So this is something we live out from as we live in this broken world and display God's love. And it starts, Paul says, here in the church, in our own relationships, in our own families, and in our own relationships in the church. And from there, hopefully going out. Four ways we live out the gospel in a broken world. Number one, he says, be completely humble. Okay? So here he has made this huge shift from chapters one through three, talking about doctrine. He's moving into, okay, this is what it means. The first thing he says, top of mind, be completely humble. Humble is so important. When you talk about bringing God's love into a broken world, it's, humility is way up there. In fact, Paul, it's top of mind. We need to be humble. Now, the opposite of humility, of course, is pride. And if we were to break down pride in a nutshell, we could say it this way. Pride is living from a posture of the world revolves around me. We all know the person who kind of walks around with this aura of uh, I know best or I know better than you. C.S. Lewis, who is a Christian writer and philosopher, talks about how that is the superiority form of pride. It's kind of this like everybody knows the arrogant person who just kind of exudes, I'm better or I know best. Okay? But what C.S. Lewis also goes on to describe when you look at the scriptures is pride is also the person who's, who, who shows the inf- inferiority form of pride. That is the person who's always down on themselves. The person who w- compares themselves to others and maybe is down on themselves, for instance, for the reason of the way they look or the way that others think of them or perceive them or what they think others think of them and, and the rest of it. What Lewis points out is that person is just as self-absorbed. And in fact, when you think about the spectrum of pride, the superiority front, the person who just kind of pops out their checks, and, and then the inferior form, that person over here, C.S. Lewis says that this is actually harder to see and identify in ourselves and understand the effects of it in our relationships. So for instance, this person will get really upset with feedback or bent out of shape when people don't notice them or notice their efforts. Or this person may get passive-aggressive when they don't get their way. This person might have a just woe-is-me type feeling. And what you see, common theme here, again, is the world revolves around them, even if the comparisons are finding them falling on the bottom. Lewis famously wrote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. But the big point I want to say here, which we also, I think, can infer from our text, is the fact that it's easy to be blind to pride. I mean, there's a reason Paul says First off, first position, as he moves from, here's what God's done for us, here's what this means, living out all this in a broken world, be completely humble. It's because we can easily miss its importance. It's like the dad out there at the camp. I mean, no doubt there's a lot of things going on in his life or whatever. But here he was screaming at these camp counselors who were teenagers and all the rest of it. And he was failing to see what probably every other parent saw. And that is the fact that these camp counselors were probably not plotting against him. It was not personal, right? But we can easily do that in our own relationships in their own ways, in our own marriages, in our relationship with roommates, uh, whatever the case might be. Here are, some three, here are three things to remember when it comes to being humble, kind of questions we can ask to kind of help ourselves when it comes to being humble. Number one, are you remembering that God is on the throne? Okay, that might sound like a pretty basic thought if you've been a Christian a while. Uh, hopefully you kind of have this idea that, that God's on the throne. But if he's on the throne, it means that even if things don't work out the way we'd hope or want it to be or, or like to script it out to be, things are still going to be okay. 
In fact, ultimately, they're going to be more than okay. They're going to be wonderful because he's going to bring about ultimate good. And so if we remember that God's on the throne, and by relation to that, we aren't, it puts us in a place to, to be humble. Number two, are you remembering your need for others? That's this whole idea that we have a dependency on others. In the church, the promise is when we put our faith in Jesus, every person who puts their faith in Jesus receives his Holy Spirit. And then even outside of the church, we're all made in the image of God, Imago Dei, with his inherent divine dignity, meaning there's always things to learn from and receive from others. But I think what we can often do without even realizing, remember, it's easy to be blind to this, is just have this posture of, well, no, I know better in this scenario, or I've got it worked out. But in fact, often what God wants to do is use the people who don't see things the way we see it or experience life the way we see it to actually, probably more so than other, with, with others, help us begin to become more like him, see more of the fullness of him. So we need to remember our need, our dependency on others. And then number three, are you remembering your need to admit that sometimes you're wrong? For some of us, this might be the big takeaway today. You know, it's, it can be really hard to admit when we're wrong. But if we're going to be completely humble, I think it means, I think it's going to include that we need to sometimes admit when we're wrong. Because the reality is, if God has done all this for us, it means we regularly fall short. We need a Savior. We regularly fall short in our relationships, in our relationship to Him with others, and all the rest of it. Which means, by definition, we're going to be wrong a lot more often than we probably care to recognize in our own lives. And so therefore, we need to, when we miss the mark in a relationship... Well, let me ask you are, you, are you good at admitting when you're wrong? And I'll tell you, man, when you start to think about the impacts of what that could have in your relationship, and by the way, even short-term, let alone long-term, it's incredible. So we need to remember uh, these two strings and being completely humble. That's the first thought here, is we need to be humble. The second way we're to live out the gospel in a broken world is to be gentle. Again, this is also modified. Be completely gentle. It says in verse 2, I have heard it said that the opposite of being gentle is like being a wrecking ball. We live in an area right now where all of our other, all the surrounding neighborhoods have been gentrifying like crazy. Well, it's kind of caught up with our area where we're sending our kids to public schools where we live. It's starting to gentrify, which is this whole, this whole deal. But basically, a lot of uh, homes in the area are being purchased and then knocked down. They're being demolished because the 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 value, of course, most of the value is in, is in the land, so people are knocking it down. So there's all this demolishing happening. And if you're walking around in the area, and even if you stay on the street, but the demolishing is happening back further in the lot, it's still just really, it'll make you flinch. Super loud, super harsh. The opposite of being gentle is coming in like a wrecking ball. And I found that I was, I, you know, once I had this kind of vision to see my own life, I realized, oh my goodness, this is speaking to me. <laughs> Say, for instance, with my kids. Uh, this last week, I had a function that I, it was my turn to take them to, and this was an, a, func a function that was really important to get there on time to, and it just feels like our life is getting a lot more chaotic these days. We're starting to come out of a pandemic, you know, camps are happening, uh, sports are happening, and they're full swing and all that sort of thing, and there was this one function that it was my turn to take them to. It was really important that we got there on time, so I was working upstairs and just kind of, you know, jamming on, on work. I came down 30 minutes early, thought I was, you know, ahead of this, and I said, okay, kids. 
We got to get somewhere. We got to leave here in 30 minutes. It's really important that we get there on time. So I need you to prepare, you know, your bags, your water bottle, all that sort of stuff. Just kind of gave them a list. You guys got that? You understand how important this is? Okay, good. All right. Went back upstairs, jammed on some more work, came back down a half an hour early. None of that had been done. <laughs> no preparations had been made. And what's more, they were mid-fight. They're just bickering about something. It was just totally inconsequential. They were just kids being kids, right? But I came in like a wrecking ball. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Are you, I don't even see any preparations. Where's your, where's your bag? Is that packed? The water bottle, did you get all that? No, 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 no. And you're fighting? You guys got to be speed the tape up a little bit. I'm driving them to this function where we're already late to, looking at the speedometer. I'm still going, guys, you got to be kidding me. We told them we were going to get there on time. This is really important. You know what I mean? And the beat goes on. And I had come in like a wrecking ball. And really the reality is there, I had missed an opportunity to have a gentle impact and ministry for my kids. That was actually a God-given opportunity to help my kids, but I had missed it. Partly because I had personalized it. I had over, overly personalized it. I had hoped that we'd get there on time, partly for their sake. But I was invested in this, my own self. And I, because of that, I came at it a little bit more adversarially instead of with them. Does that make sense? I came at this against them instead of with them. Now, that's not to excuse that they had responsibility. They didn't listen to their dad. They didn't, you know, we're not respecting people's time and all that. that. No, all that's important, but I missed the opportunity to kind of get at the heart of the matter because I came in like a wrecking ball, right? What would have gentleness looked like in that situation? It seems to me gentleness probably would have been something like asking a few questions. Like, guys, what's going on here? And probably the response would have been like, he did it, she did it, because again, they were mid-fight. But okay, hey. No, I'm talking about what's going on here. What had I asked you to do? And why had I asked you to do it? And then try to get at the heart of the matter so that we could actually, you know, begin to learn from this. Because the reality is my kids hadn't been plotting this whole thing against me or to mess themselves up. They're kids. They're broken people in this broken world. And I'm a broken parent in helping broken kids in this broken world. They needed redemptive love of Jesus. And I missed that opportunity not being gentle. It seems to me being gentle includes at least two things. I'm sorry, this won't be on your screen. Number one, I think it's not reacting, but first pausing and acting. Okay? Because what we can easily do when situations get up, whether it's with your kids' parents, whether it's with a roommate in a certain situation, whether it's with a boss or a coworker, whatever the case might be, we can real quickly, in the heat of the moment, just react, right? That was me with my kids, like, you got to be kidding me. Didn't I tell you? You know what I mean? And all I was doing was piling on inflammation and, you know, wasn't really getting anywhere. I think we need to first kind of pause and then actually act instead of react. And if I had paused, hopefully what would have happened is like, okay, these kids are being kids. They're good kids. They're, they're great kids. And I just need to, you know, I, I do care really a, a lot that we get there on time. They should care a little bit more about that. But hey, we'll figure this out. Is, is this making sense? We need to first, instead of reacting, pause and then act. And the second thing I would say is just remember that this is a standard not to live up to, but out from. Because I'll tell you what, as I was doing this preparation and letting this kind of like marinate in my heart, I was like, wow, Lord, I need your help in this more than I realized. And it's a reminder that God will help us in that space. He gives us his spirit to help us in that space. Even when things are tense, even when people are feeling on edge, maybe this is a case for you. God will help you. Look to him. So we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. 
And then third, we need to be patient, Paul says here. We need to be patient. Now, patience is one of the character traits that we've looked at in our series, cultivating patience. So I don't want to just kind of rehash what we talked about in that last sermon. If you weren't here for that and you want to look at that, you can go online and, and check it out there. But I do want to focus in on how God is incredibly patient with us. Just sit on that thought for a second. I'm reading through the Bible. I typically have a plan that I kind of follow. And right now I'm in the prophets section of the Old Testament, the Old Testament being the parts of the scripture that kind of lead up to Jesus' life. And the prophet section more or less covers from about a thousand years before Jesus to about, you know, uh, seven, six hundred years before Jesus, that kind of thought. So for hundreds of years, you have this section where essentially the people of God rejected him and his ways. Just gross acts of injustice, totally neglecting the widow, the poor, the widows, the poor, the, the foreigners among them. They were worshiping idols and all the rest of it, just totally rejecting God and his ways. And what we have in this series of hundreds of years in, uh, encapsulated in the scripture is prophet after prophet, after prophet, after prophet, after you just keep going here for a while, of God patiently trying to reach out to his people, say, come back to me, come, come back to me. And eventually, they didn't come back to him, and the consequences of that happened. But even in the midst of that, God patiently, ultimately then brought them back to himself. Just patient, patient, patient. And of course, the thought there is if he's patient with his people then, he's patient with us today. And I feel like our lives are a microcosm of like the people of God's in that period. Like we regularly, far more often than we probably care to admit or recognize, reject God in his ways. Each and every one of us. And God is exceedingly patient with each of us, sometimes showing it to us, sometimes having to show it to us a bunch of times, sometimes bringing someone else in to show it to us, and finally, maybe we sort of begin to be transformed by his love through it. He's just patient. But if he's that patient with us, how can we not, together with his help, extend patience to him, uh, to, to others in our lives? So you may be struggling to offer patience to a spouse whom you just feel like needs to go ahead and change already. The solution to that is being patient, praying for them, being patient, even as you and I recognize if we're in that situation, we need that spouse's patience with us, let alone God's patience. So we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient. And the number four of, these, of this list here in verse two, we see we need, to be, we need to bear with one another in love. So bearing with is is a synonym with patience, okay? It's very similar, although there's a slight, light, slight twist here. Bearing with is patience under provocation, okay? So patience is waiting for others to kind of mature in grace. Uh, bearing with is being patient when that immaturity is directed towards you or at you. So for instance, again, with my example with my kids not being ready, and I kind of personalized it. It wasn't like they were plotting against me or they had something out for daddy on the week of Father's Day, no less, and all that. It's like... Bearing with is when somebody is like actually try, like thinking specifically or intentionally trying to hurt you. And the Bible is real about this. It's like sometimes that's going to even happen from other believers, others, others in the church. Intentionally just, just trying to hurt you. There will be times when, when, when someone, say, for instance, is passive-aggressive in front of others in, in a really disrespectful way. There's going to be times when someone intentionally drags their feet in order to make life harder for you. There's going to be times when people express a view in a tone of voice that makes 
them, you know, makes it feel like they're right and you're absolutely wrong. There's going to be times of even utter betrayal. And what Paul calls us to, by the way, Jesus calls us to, is to bear with one another in love. Because really, there are three different ways that we could respond in situations like these. Number one, we could have direct retaliation. That's the kind of vengeful anger, whether in word or deed. It's this idea of just like, man, I want to stick it to this person who's coming after me, right? And then there's this uh, response of indirect retaliation. Maybe you don't want to go the route of just like overtly uh, retaliating against them, but you're going to like, hey, if there's a need that you could fill and help that person in, you're just going to let it go. Or maybe secretly just like, yeah, you know, avoid them and just hope that they would uh, struggle in the midst of all that. Or there's a third way, we can call it gospel retaliation, and that is what we've considered actually in the series where Jesus calls us to love our enemies or love, love those or bless those who persecute you to turn the other cheek and in many, many, many places to forgive. And the idea here is if God alone is judge, as the Bible says, the follower of Jesus can not only lay aside this looking for vengeance, we can also join God in this otherworldly important work, that is the redemptive love of Jesus, bringing about redemption. Now, real quick sidebar here when we're talking about bearing with one another in love, that is not to say that we just let evil behavior or whatever it might, the case might be just slide. I mean, there, there's some wisdom here, but it's not to just... So, for instance, in a few verses, in, in our same chapter, verse 15, Paul calls Christians to, quote, speak truth in love to one another, okay? So bearing with is, is coupled with speaking truth in love. Uh, we all probably can remember times where someone said something to us that maybe wasn't pleasant at the time, but, man, it really helped us, really turned us around, and we're thankful for that, at least this far removed from it. We need to speak truth, but speak truth in love. That's not to say we just go around pointing fingers, because that's not going to help. In fact, in some ways, that's far more detrimental than if we hadn't said anything. So bearing with doesn't mean just leaving it go. It means the best we can with God's help, joining with him in his work of redemption, even as we, ca we last cast aside this need for, to feel uh, or enact vengeance. We need to bear with one another in love. I love how he concludes the same thought in his parallel letter to the Colossians. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I really think that's the key to everything here. We need to do this as we follow the Lord's example. How do we bring, how do we bring out the gospel in a broken world? We remember that God did all this for us. Remember our text, live a worthy life of the calling you have received. God calls us to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with others because he has first done that with us. Take, for example, humility. I mean, I can't think of anything more humble, more act, a greater act of humility than God leaving his throne to come live among us. Philippians 2 just hits it out of the park when it says he humbled himself and became a servant. Actually, he became... The word there is like a slave in order to love us. This one who literally, whom literally the world does revolve around, cast that aside to serve us. Of course, ultimately going to cross, even dying for us. And if he's done that for us, I think we can begin to start to live out this humility as he calls us to. Of course, we talked about how God was patient with us, but God has also been exceedingly gentle with us. 
I mean, at one point, Jesus reading about himself, quoting a prophet, he said, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. If you read the gospel accounts here in, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see so many examples of Jesus being so, so gentle with his followers who are just knuckleheads all the time. Which I'm so thankful for because I'm a knucklehead all the time. And he's so gentle with straight up folks trying to trap him in his words. Literally twisting his words. He's gentle. Now sometimes you just be like, wait, you should have faith here. I mean, he'll, he'll say something. But even when he does that, it's with such gentleness. He says, a bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And then, of course, bearing with one another. Uh, the gospel is... God not only bore with us when we were his enemies, positioning ourselves against us, rejecting him and his ways. The gospel is on the cross. He, he bore our sin for us. I mean, he, he, he bore with us to the point of taking our punishment, taking our sin to bring us back into a relationship with him. It's not a standard you and I can live up to. It's a standard that we get to live out with his help and all these things. And here's the thing that just I love about this text. I mean, what Paul was saying then, 2,000 years ago, is so relevant today because if you think about each of these thoughts, being humble, being gentle, being patient, bearing with, if we could just move the notch like ever so slightly on the degree of being one of these things, just one of them, let alone all four, can you imagine the impact that'll have in our relationships here and, and in, the, in the family, in the home, let alone as we, as his church, broken people as we are, imperfect as we are, put his love, grace, and glory on display. If we just, just take one little step in humility, take one little step in gentleness, patience, and bearing with, we can have incredible impact. We can feel the benefits of that, but even more, we can just make God's love known in this broken world. Now, let's pray. Father, thank you again so much for your love, your goodness to us, how you have been humble for us, the one around whom the world has always and continues to and will always revolve around. You, you, you cast it aside to serve us. And then how gentle you are with us. Frankly, even when we're not gentle, you're still gentle with us, trying to bring us back. And of course, you're patient. And you bear with us, even bearing our sin. We thank you for your love. Father, we confess that we've, we, we so often miss the mark in these ways. And really all of these uh, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, all, all the rest of it, self-control. But we're so thankful that the conclusion of the matter is not we just need to white-knuckle it and mind over matter be, be better, but, but, but rather to lean into what you've already done for us and let that flow from within us outward. So, Father, would you help us be a church that is increasingly these wonderful traits that you call, to, call us to? Would you help us remember these things as we reset, uh, not just in this, the next few months ahead, but just really the rest of our, our walks with you? Uh, we need your help in all of this. We love you. We thank you that you've called us together to be a, uh, a people loving each other and, and serving you together in this place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.